It's on the side uh, toward the road, behind the drums. There's a nifty, snifty prayer room back there. <coughs> Hallelujah. Well, we've got some testimonies. Beth just rolled in here. She has one. Uh, do you want to tell Luke's update? <coughs> you can just yell it out. You don't have to. distant nephew um, through marriage and all that and he was in a hurry he's 16 a great fine young man had a car wreck on Sunday afternoon and had a burst fracture in his back and they first talked like that he might be paralyzed for for, for forever and so it, we all came together and we've pr been praying about it and after four hours of surgery on Sunday on Monday they had him up walking. He walked five foot. Yesterday he walked 20 foot, and today he's walked 30 foot. And so he did have some discomfort last night. So if we can just pray him through the sleep time. Sure. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness and your, your tender mercies, Father. We just thank you for you love Luke, Father. We thank you that, that what matters to us matters to you. But, Lord, you love him. And you have a significant uh, call on his life. Father, we just lift him up to you. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. Yes, yes, yes. Turn with me to Exodus 32. I want to talk tonight about spiritual hunger. And uh, just kind of... Oh, goody, then I can lean on this with my elbow. That's wonderful. So Exodus 32, we'll start out from that point. And you guys are real familiar with this story. It's uh, when they come out of Egypt. And in chapter 32 is when uh, Moses has been up on the mountain. And he has you know, been meeting with the Lord. And the Lord gave him the tablets. And the Lord wrote them with his own hand, with his own finger. He wrote <laughs> with his own finger. Anyway, um, and then when Moses came back down, the children of Israel were like they made a golden calf. So just refreshing that story. You remember, Moses was gone a long time. And so... How long was he up there? 40 days. He was up there 40 days. So he was gone a long time. And 
<coughs> and uh, they got impatient because he was gone so long. Is that what they did? They got impatient because he was gone so long, they started saying, maybe he's not going to come back. Maybe he's not going to come back. Maybe he died up there. <laughs> uh, they got concerned about where Moses was and what he was doing. And so in the interim, while they were concerned about where Moses was and what he was doing, they decided they would cook up an alternative thing so they would have a God and they would have something there in front of them because he wasn't there. And so this starts out a process where they, it ends up with an amazing promise. It starts out with a process that ends up with an amazing promise and an interaction between Moses and the Lord. But how the process starts is a very bad thing. It's pretty about the worst thing you could ever do. We prayed for revival. We saw God. He didn't come. So we made one. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna land this plane. This plane's gonna stay on the tarmac. We we th we were asking, we thought this was gonna happen, it didn't happen, so we just made one up. And so what they actually did was made one up because they didn't understand why it was taking so long for Moses to interact with God. And so when Moses came down, there they are. <laughs> They've sinned the worst. They've made an idol. Now on the tablets that he wrote with his finger, what was one of the first... What were the first two commandments? What, do you remember what the first two commandments were? Thou shalt not make unto thee <laughs> any graven image. <laughs> and so they have, they have in their impatience, they have made what's on the first of the list. Don't do this. Just think about this. This is how they started out with this process. And so I want you to imagine Moses. Here he is. He's got, he's got this written with finger of God. He's coming down. And then there they are. And they have violated already <laughs> the first two things on that, on that tablet. And I believe this is where Moses threw them down and broke them. I believe but he just, he was such a wonderful leader. <laughs> he was such an amazing leader. He said, I don't know, maybe he shouted out, you idiots. Who knows what he actually said, but he said, this is not good. He was so fierce. It said he burnt. He was hot with anger. He was furious. And so he wasn't saying, Oh, hallelujah, I've been in the presence of the Lord 40 days. I've been with Jesus 40 days. I'm so mellow. I love this idol you've made. I've been in the presence of the Lord 40 days. He was ripping hot. 
And so he was so mad, he took the thing that God wrote, God hadn't done anything then, and threw it down and, and broke it, and he was, he was so mad. Actually, what he did was he took that, <laughs> I love this, he took that, I, that idol, ground it up into powder, and made them eat it. So, it, it was made out of gold, I guess it probably, I don't know, might have helped them if they had some kind of a in, autoimmune disease or something. <laughs> That's the first case of a gold treatment ever to be known in history. And he made them eat that thing. He made them drink it, ground it up into powder and mixed it up and had them drink it. And so, he's gone through this. <coughs> And then he goes to talk to God. And so his interaction with the people was white-hot anger. He retaliated. I mean, he, he punished them in the sense of what he was going to do. Um, you know, when you, <laughs> when you make something because you don't wait on God, you usually do get to eat it. <laughs> oh, God, you usually do get to eat it with sugar and cream on it. Anyway, so, in chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 21, the topic that I'm t actually going to talk about is spiritual hunger. Moses said to Aaron, what, oh, excuse me, 30, 32, verse 31, sorry. Then, then Moses returned to the Lord. And said, oh, these people have committed a great sin. They made themselves a god of gold. So he's telling God what, what obviously God already knows. Because I think the Lord said, you need to go down. People have sinned a great sin. Or somebody, somehow he kind of had a heads up. It was coming to him. Yet now, if you will forgive their sins. Moses is being very bold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sins. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book that you have written. And so Moses is ratcheting up to how he is so laying down his life here. He is so moving into the realm of intercessor. He tells God, if you don't forgive him, Lord, just kill me. And, you know, we can get to thinking, uh, if you're a leader of anything, you can get to thinking you're absolutely in control of how people respond to God. And that your action can create something or make something happen that will make people respond to God. So it's like, God, if I do this, I had a thing where I told the Lord, I will not do this, not at all, until this person is completely healed of that. And I thought it was a vow. I held that vow a long time. I mean, it wasn't a highly meaningful vow because I never re did really do the thing I said I would never do. Anyway, so, uh, but I held that vow. I held it quite a long time. One day the Lord spoke to me and said, would you please release that vow? You're binding that young man from being set free. Because you've bound his freedom into your action. And I thought, well, Lord, that's a Reese Howells thing. What's wrong with you? Didn't you read Reese Howells' intercessor, Jesus? But God knows when you're soul tied to something. We can't tell if we have a soul tie. And soul ties keep us from spiritual hunger. 
they break they keep us out of the place where real desperation for God can come because we somehow think that what our we're doing in our soul what we're doing is going to affect something and so here he is and he's saying to God if you don't forgive them just blot me out of your book and the Lord said I'll blot out the people who sinned he gave him a little training and he said I'll blot out the, the ones who sin and then in Ezekiel you remember where the scripture says no more will it be said in Israel this proverb will never be used in Israel again the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge but the soul that sins it shall die it is the heart and way of God that every person is responsible in front of God for their action. And you may have done something stupid. You may have not helped somebody. You may have hurt them. You may have neglected and not done certain things. But you are not responsible for what they do. Every person is responsible for what they do. And so even if you're a person who's been greatly abused, if you take that as an offense and hold to it and unforgiveness and bitterness, then that responsibility of the bondage that's in you is on you it's not on the other person and so it's the soul that sins it shall die so he said to moses hey get over your melodramatic self there intercessor man <laughs> i'll i'll kill the people who sin i'm not blotting you out of anything so so but i've taught this another way in the past where i would see moses as some ginormously uh, intense intercessor being willing to lay down his life but you know what God knows the rules and he knows every one of us responsible for the sins that we do and he holds people accountable for their sins and so that's basically what he said to Moses and the Lord said to Moses whoever has sinned against me I'll blot him out of my book okay now therefore go and lead this people I don't want to lead this people if I don't have some kind of a soul tie way that I can feel like I can make things happen God it's every man for himself he basically said I'll kill the ones who sin and you go lead them Oh, I'd rather be in some sort of a compact with you where if they do something stupid, I'll, you'll guarantee that you'll wipe them out or you'll wipe me out so I don't have to deal with these people. <laughs> and so that was kind of his, God was putting him on a level plane there, I think, as I've seen this in my older life. When I was young and thought I was all that, I saw it the other way. And, you know, when you get older and you know you're not all that, you see God, God is really in charge. <laughs> so, whoever sinned against me, that's who I'm blotting out of my book. Now go lead this people. And my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, I will visit punishment on them for their sins. And then the Lord plagued the people. So... The Lord corrected or put in order 
how individual responsibility is before them. And then he, he said to Moses, after saying, every man for himself on individual responsibility about your sins, and you lead the people. And so he, Moses is a wonderful intercessor and a type of Christ. And so then he, after he got those things straight to Moses, then he sent the plague and he judged the ones who sinned. He did, ju this is Old Testament life here, he judged the ones who made that calf and who sinned against him. Then chapter 33, uh, they left from Sinai, they departed from Sinai in chapter 33. Moses took a tent and he pitched it outside where the, from where the people were outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. It was the place where he would actually meet with God, actually have an encounter with God. He made a place to have an encounter with God. And so in this place that he made to have the encounter with God, um, in verse 11 of chapter 33, it said, the people saw the cloud there, but they didn't know what was going on inside the tent. In verse 11 tells us what was going on inside the tent. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. He spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, he did not depart out of the tabernacle. Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. He would meet with God face to face. God would talk to him like talking to a friend. Then Moses would go back into the camp. But Joshua, who was the one who eventually took him in, he stayed in the tent. He just hung out there. He hung out there at the place of encounter. And so... That is one of the first places where we see someone in the scripture knowing that there is a place of encounter and hanging out at that place of encounter because of hunger to be in the presence of the Lord. And so in, it says that there it said he spoke to him face to face. That's the same idea that you see with Jacob when he wrestled with the angel, when he was coming back to meet Esau, he was desperate. And so in that desperation, he sends his family away from him, and he goes to a certain place, and he begins to cry out in desperation, and an angel, which I believe is the Lord, came and wrestled with him wrestled with him all night and couldn't prevail against him. Can you imagine being so... Whatever Jacob was, that God Almighty couldn't prevail against him. Can you imagine being... What a strength of whatever would have been in there that God could not prevail against him. It says he wrestled all night and he could not prevail against him. 
And so then we know the story really well. The Lord has asked him his name. And the Lord touched him in his, in his thigh, gave him a limp. He touched him in his thigh. He walked with that limp all the rest of his life. He touched him there and weakened his strength in the way. Because there was something so strong in Jacob, God could not even get to prevail over him. And so when that event was over, Jacob said this. The name of this place is Peniel, which means the face of God. But Jacob said this in Hebrew, I have seen the Lord faces to faces, and my life is preserved. In the Hebrew language, there is no word for presence. The word, when it says, um, in a minute, the Lord's going to say to Moses, my presence will go with you. It is not presence like we think of presence. There is no word for presence. The word is pinier, faces. So when Moses went out and he was in the tent of meeting and the Lord's presence was there face to face, it's faces. And... Oh, Jesus, put this out. So, after Moses is there, then he says to the Lord, verse 12, Moses said, look, see, you told me to lead these people, but you didn't tell me who's going to go with me. Who is going with me? And in Hebrew, the Lord said, my faces will go with you, and I will give you rest. It's not some vague sense. Have you ever been talking to somebody who's on their phone? Oh, gosh, Pastor could probably say that about me. Oh, God. She'd be talking to me. I'd be like, on my phone. Or anybody, I'm on my phone. And you want to go, look at me. <laughs> I saw, oh, Bentley Hively, who used to be one of the youth workers here in the church. She, she did a... She surveyed two of her classes, elementary school classes, what they wanted most from their parents, to put their phones down. To put their phones down and look at them and listen to them. We think of that as a kid thing, but it's like put, they want to see faces. My presence, my faces will go with you. And so this is the promise. He's telling him, I'm going with my faces. And when I think of faces, I think of the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored, uh, the fact of God, the faces of God, the lion, the lamb, the man, the eagle. There's so many places in the scripture where it describes different faces of God. Or we think of Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The name for God in creation is Elohim. It's plural. It's faces. Um, so he says to them, uh, my faces will go with you, and I will give you rest. The word for rest, 
in the Hebrew word for rest is the word that's used when you place a camel to lie down. So you got a camel. You've ever seen a camel lay down? Did y'all see that video on YouTube, on uh, Facebook of the people trying to ride the camel? There's two people got on this camel and they were so fat, or big, excuse me, I probably shouldn't. You were the fat. They were so, uh, like me, rather, rather robust. A rotund, I think is the word, and robust, rotund and robust. Uh, the camels couldn't, camel couldn't get up, and so the camel tried to get up. <laughs> the camel's going back down. It's the most hilarious thing. But this, that camel was getting no rest, man. He couldn't get up, couldn't lay, couldn't lay down. Where, but the word rest is for a place where it is the word for telling, laying a camel down. You know, a person who's leading a camel to. Tell them to get up or they'll tell them to lie down. And if they're telling a camel to lie down, they don't just, you know, like flop over on their side like Taz and Max and Bear or a warrior or star or whoever, our dogs. They settle down. When a camel lies down, they settle down. And so this word for I will give you rest is when a camel settles down and remains. And so if his faces are with us, there's going to be a settling down and a remaining stillness that comes into us. Well, Moses didn't stop there. That wasn't that didn't end this conversation. Verse 14 is, he says, my presence, my faces will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. That's the verse that they took the song, please, Mr. Custer. I don't want to go. Uh, <laughs> If your presence doesn't go with us, then don't bring us up here. For how then will it be known that your people have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? Now this begins to, you begin to see what he's longing for. What, what's stirring in him to press on in. He's, God has said, I'll go with you. My presence will go with you. And he said, well, how will it, if it don't, then how will it be known that these people have found grace in your sight, except that you go, so shall we be separate, your people and I, from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken because you have found grace in my sight, for I know you by name. So he is saying, Moses is pressing on in. And he's pressing on in saying, God, if you're not, with us if your faces are not with us the people in the world will not know that we are yours it is the presence of his life and his love and his peace have you ever been somewhere where the presence of the lord just comes in the room what is the feeling that you have uh, just permeates above everything else it's peace the camel just settles down and remains and so, how will they know that we're yours? How would, how would we be separate? 
We're not separate by the ideas that we have. We're not separate by the things we say. We are separate by his presence. We are separate by the peace that is like the camel settling down and remaining. We're separate or different by the encounter and his face is with us. His presence. So there was a hunger and a cry in Moses for presence. For encounter. And... You know, I, on Sunday, I, I said the strangest sermon I ever thought I'd ever have about that Jesus was human. That that came to me about human. Well, <laughs> I said, I oh God, that, that was so weird. And I heard the Spirit clear as a bell say, that's just the first H. There's humility. And then, that was like on Sunday or whenever, when I was at home, like going, oh, God, that was so weird. And then <laughs> uh, the next day, I saw this podcast. And the podcast was four H's about God. One was human. I had never heard any. Can you believe that, Pastor? Is this crazy or what? Uh, human, hunger, humility, and I can't remember the last one. So I think I need to say, I think I need to be bringing that, because that was like, whoa, God, this is weird. I've never had you talk to me like this. To say, okay, Jane, you don't get it on many levels, so here. <laughs> so hunger came into Moses. He had this spiritual hunger. He had this hunger for the people to be separate and be separated by presence. You can make yourself separate. We could start teaching something really weird and make ourselves separate. I mean, we could teach you got to wear like a red bandana. Oh, no, the, well, I'm not going to say that because I'm today. Uh, we could teach you we have to wear like a turban, and the women have to wear like wraps around them, and, and they have to be purple. The women have to be purple. The men have to be like orange, and... And that's how we come before God. And we could make ourselves separate. We definitely would be different. We would make ourselves separate. But his hunger and his desire was to be separate by presence. But that hunger came into him from the horrible thing that happened. Think about this. That hunger came into him from the horrible thing that happened. Imagine that if he'd come down from the mountain and he had the tablets and he'd been in the presence of the Lord, but he had the things written with the fingers and they hadn't done anything like that. And he'd said, here's the stuff written with the fingers, finger of God. And this is what kind of hunger might have been in him or what kind of interaction might have happened in him if he'd not had such a disaster. There was a desperation for the presence of God that came into him when he realized, I'm in a stupid situation. And so hunger doesn't just come falling out of the sky like, hunger drops are falling. Come up to the left, of the al uh, left side of the altar if you're standing up here. Uh, 
There are hunger drops falling on the third seat. Hunger drops falling on seat number seven over here in row number four. Hunger drops. Hunger comes from various things, and one is desperation. I listened to a person tell a story about the song. This is the air I breathe. Have you ever heard that song? This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. I am desperate for you. How that song was written was a leader in a church, some very loved and precious person that was loved, was very sick. They were all praying for the healing, but the healing didn't come. The person died. And so this worship leader was asked, could you lead the worship for the memorial service for this person that they just dearly loved? It was a girl worship leader. For the person that they just dearly loved. And so the girl spontaneously in getting ready to lead the worship for this, for this holy, desperate, and lost, and stupid situation to your mind's eye. She's preparing to lead the worship, and she just starts singing up out of her desperation. I, oh I, I'm desperate for you. And I, Lord, I am lost without you. And then start singing, this is the air I breathe, your holy presence. And so that's how that song was born. That song was born out of, like, like the guy who wrote, was it the guy who wrote, it is well with my soul at the place where the Titanic went down, with his family on it. The, that came out of desperation and that song has an anointing when it lives it was born out of a cry for faces to faces out of desperation for things that make no sense you just split the sea and did all these things for these people and they've rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and been crazy and crazy and crazy and here they've come to this point and my goodness god they have built a calf What desperation he must have felt when he's crying out. I want your faces. I want your presence. I'm desperate for your presence. So here is what I want to say about all this. I've taken a lot of time to build up to say what I wanted to say. Hunger came to Moses following a struggle uh, with with a group of people with leading the people or with a group of people. This can be a group of people or you can have like two people in your life or three or half a dozen or one kid. I'm just saying. Where it's like, oh my gosh, now they've made a calf. (laughs) And so this hunger came to him out of desperation And so God has called on us because the beginning of intimacy, when I was studying hunger, to say more about it, the beginning of intimate relationship and worship and the beginning of intimacy with God is hunger for presence. 
and hunger for presence and hunger after God, we can develop it. And so these are just some ideas or thoughts that I want to say about that. The enemy of spiritual hunger, you can think right now if I were to say, okay, let's do a hungometer. <laughs> like a hungometer. Stick your finger in here, and then Elaine's got like a little oxygen meter, and she sticks her finger in it, and then it tells her where, she's, where she is on her oxygen. So we'll have a little hungometer, and you stick your finger in it, and it's like, ugh. I'm not very hungry for God's presence at all. So you have to, like, see where you are in that. Because there's certain things that just gall you and you lose your hunger. And we're going to say those things here in a second. Uh, but one of the enemies of spiritual hunger is self-righteousness. If Moses had ramped up and God had let him ramp up on this thing, well, just kill me. If he just let that thing stand where, okay, if, if you're not killing them, then just blot me out of the book. I'm willing to just die right here for these people. Oh, I'm so wonderful. Uh, there is a way that in spiritual life, it's an easy thing to do to start becoming self-righteous. It really is an easy, easier thing to do than you ever would dream. That you start feeling that you're right, that you're righteous. Um, in the Joel 2 scripture that says he will send the former rain and the latter rain. I might have mentioned this on Sunday, I can't remember. It was in my notes. I, I don't know if I did or not. It seemed like I was like making popcorn or something. Uh, <laughs> but the former rain is the rain is the righteous rain, or uh, Taylor's Living Bible calls it the rain of forgiveness. Okay, good. So, <laughs> self righteousness—the first rain that comes to those people that's starting to bring in a crop in their lives—is a is a rain of forgiveness. It's a rain of knowing who the real righteous one is. And so when God corrected Moses on his little course of blot me out of the book, God was correcting him to say, there is none righteous, no, not one. I'm the righteous one, and I'll blot who I want to blot. Whose sins gets blotted? You can't be in the role of the righteous one. Only Jesus Christ is the righteous. So. But you can get self-righteous about a lot of things. You can get self-righteous by how you drive your car. You can get self-righteous about how you put your brakes on. I told you this plane's going to be on the tarmac. You can get self-righteous about all sorts of things. How you pray, who you, uh, how often you pray, or... If you read your Bible, or do you read, uh, give him 15 every day? I've never had Fran ask me, did you read giving 15 today? That I've actually read it. So every time I have to say, when they say, give him 15, I have to say, no, I haven't read it. They probably think, golly, she's probably like pitifully a sinner. Uh, 
But if you read your giving 15 every day, you're praying the prayers and saying the right declarations, you can get self-righteous about all kinds of things. You can get self-righteous about how you floss your teeth, Pam. I'm sure you've seen self-righteous people about how they floss their teeth. When you tell them you need to floss your teeth, they're like, well, blah, blah, um, <laughs> So things that block or enemy to spiritual hunger are self-righteousness. So when you're wanting to, we need hunger. We need hunger. We're crying out for God and for revival and for his presence, and we're not going to get it thinking mercy drops of hunger are going to fall on us in seat one, two, three, or four. We're going to get hungry for God knowing we're desperate. We need the faces of God. We need his presence. Uh, so self-righteousness is a, is a war against hunger. If you're all filled up with yourself, there's no room for God. And self-righteousness fills you up with you. Um, judging other people, that comes right after self-righteousness. And you know when you're judging other people, I, you have, ever have people that if you say anybody's name, they're going to say something judgmental about them? woo And then, and feel so good, like, oh, I'm so much better than them. Like, just stand there and pray and beat your chest. Not beat your chest. The guy beating his chest was saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. The other guy was saying, I thank you, God. I'm not like other people. <laughs> so, judgment of other people is only to make you feel like you're better. Or, or ver validate you in some way. But hunger for God and knowing you're desperate does not come by validating that you don't need God because you're so awesome and you haven't sinned since 1942. And then another enemy of spiritual hunger is offense. Did you ever take up somebody else's offense? Did you know you have nowhere to go with that? If I have an offense, let's say I'm offended with Kathy Dale. Then I can go to Kathy Dale and say, now, Kathy, I'm offended with you because you did blah, blah, blah. You are praying for me, and you stomped on my sore toe, and <laughs> whatever, and, and, and I'm offended, whatever, with you. But if I tell that to Karen, and I said, you know, when she's praying for me, she stomped on my toe like she doesn't even know how to pray for people. And then Karen's like, oh, my gosh, I'm, how dare her stomp on your toe? There's nowhere you can go with that because it didn't happen to you. If you, you have nowhere to go with somebody else's offense because it didn't happen to you. The scripture only tells you what to do with if you're offended. Then you go to the person. It doesn't say, hey, if somebody else is offended, you get their offense and you go try to figure that out. Tell it. Whoa, tell it. <laughs> tell somebody about it. So that uh, is... An enemy of spiritual hunger. Because if you're working around the ideas of uh, self-righteousness, defensiveness, judgmentalness, and offense, all those things harden the heart and the mind. And that's, that's not desperate. You're trying to be judge and jury. I'm just saying. I'm not preaching at you guys. Y'all know I do this stuff. 
Uh, well, y'all heard me. I mean, it's probably everybody sitting in here is like, oh, gosh, Jane. Uh, so I don't. Then another enemy of hunger. And Moses ran into this. I'm going to lean on this table if that's okay, y'all. Another enemy of hunger is the numbing effect. Some things are numbing. N-U-M-B-I-N-G. Not dumbing. <laughs> That's the golden calf. Numbing. Hard circumstances. Over and over and over again will numb you. They will. They will numb you. So that you're not even in touch with your own desperation. So hard circumstances. A numbing physical pain numbs you. I had such a gift of physical pain on Sunday afternoon. And I thought, how do people do this? <laughs> I thought about Teresa Gibson. I was like, whoa, God, have mercy. I was, uh, we went to the hockey game in Knoxville right after church. We went down to the hockey game and with uh, David and his, his friend. And it was her birthday celebration. And I was just determined I was going to have, I was going to celebrate. I was going to have some fun. And so I decided I wasn't going to be concerned if David was embarrassed by me. I thought, I'm here and I'm human. Anyway, so I danced a little bit. I mean, nothing, anything wrong. I was just like, you know, dancing a little bit to like whatever the song was. And David was like, Mom, I can't take you anywhere. And I, so I was having fun with that. Then I had to walk up and down the steps. I won $25. Well, Jessica won it, but my name was on the puck. We were, like, throwing these pucks into a target on the ice, and, and it had my name on it. So my name got announced over the whole place that I won a $25 gift card from Pilot Gas Station. There's not one anywhere near here. You have to go clean to Baileyton to get to Pilot Station. And so, anyway... But walking back to the car, we're walking to the car, and my hip started to hurt like I never had a pain in my life. And I thought, what is this? Is this like when people have hip pain? <laughs> it hurt. It wasn't, if I hurt my knee, I'll tweak it. It'll be like somebody shot me with a, or stuck a knife in it or something sharp, and it's like, Wah! and I'm like, whoa, and I'd get it straightened out, and I'd think, oh, my gosh, you got to put ice on that knee. This was not like anything like that. It was like dull. Like, I've come in here. I've moved in. And I thought, th if a person dealt with pain like this all the time, it would be so distracting. You would have to fight to have a hunger because that kind of thing dulls and numbs 
the spiritual self. I know when I'm really sick. Uh, let's see, the, it was the year Eddie left. I knew he was leaving before I got the upper respiratory infection the day before Thanksgiving. And I don't know if I was hoping for death. <laughs> I said to the Lord, was I hoping for death? Is that what happened here? Because I got the upper respiratory in the bed. I was contagious. They said, this virus is contagious. You quarantine yourself. Okay, so I got that. That goes on for like, it seemed forever. Then as soon as that was over, I got pneumonia. And so I got pneumonia, went through the pneumonia. Like, Whoa. And I had to be, that's contagious. You got to stay quarantined in here. I laid in that bed till I thought literally I was going to be sucked down into the mattress. And then after that was over, I got up and I thought I was going to be just fine and dandy. And the day before Christmas, I got the flu. The actual real flu. And so then I'm back quarantined in there because <laughs> I've got the flu. I don't know if I said, I, I think I, I told this to Pastor Sue. I went through what I call, I never understood this. I never went through anything like this. I, I said, I understand why people talk about the dark night of the soul. But it was, it was a sick, sickness was in that, and I was numbed and dull through the sickness process. And I started thinking, I don't know, do I really want to be a Christian? Oh, I started thinking, do I really believe in God? Is this like for real? Oh, I'm telling you, I got down, it got down into, whoa. And so, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive this? And so, I was saved really by just stalking on Jesse Tanner on Facebook. See, what's Jesse doing? He posted up something from Carrie Newhoff. And it, it just, something about it just kind of quickened me a little bit. And I thought, whoa, okay, maybe there's still hope here for the stump that if it's the sin of water, maybe I'm not an unbeliever after all. But I just want to say, and I believe this to be true, and that the Lord gave me these things, that hunger is numbed by hard circumstances, by pain, and hunger is numbed by uncertainty. If you have big uncertainty in your life, what's going to happen? Am I going to move? Am I going to sell my house? Am I this? Am I going to da 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 uh, uncertainty about people that you love, but uncertainty about your own self, what you're doing, what you're going to do. Uncertainty that pervade, not pervade, well, keeps on going, whatever that word is. <coughs> Pre-keeps on going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pervasive, that's the word. I was like, whoa, what is it? It has a numbing effect on you. It's almost like you have to kind of steal yourself a little bit to not be a basket case and to, to, you know, stiff upper lip there. You know, hold your head up, stiff upper lip. And so, so much of that and keeping on in that vein will get you out of touch with the fact that you could just say, God Almighty, I am desperate for you. 
I'm desperate for an encounter with you. I'm desperate for faces to faces. I'm desperate for that place where you're going to come down and you're going to talk to me face to face like a friend, where I'm going to be as aware of your presence and alive with your life and your love. And you put hunger in me because hunger is not magic. It's something that we develop. And it's something that we tap into in different kinds of circumstances. So I've said that about that. As Forrest Gump says, that's all I've got to say about that. And then <laughs> Bill Johnson says this, and it's a common thing we say it around here. In the natural, when you're full, you don't eat. In the spiritual, you eat to get hungry. It's opposite. So you get in the Word, read a passage. Like, what do I read the Bible for? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. Anyway, so you just start reading. And the more you read, the hungrier you get. Because God's word is alive. And it will make you hungry. And so... Psalm 18, I think it is. Lord, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them lead me to where you are. On Sunday, the Lord had quickened to me. You will show me the path that leads to resurrection. And that is hunger. That is longing. That is crying. That is letting the desperation in you come out and not numbing yourself against desperation. If you feel like I haven't been had any sense that God is working in my life in like since 1942, <laughs> in a long time, or five days, let yourself get desperate. Look and see where is that hunger? Where did it go? What numbed me? What stopped this? What cut this off? Because the Spirit is in the church groaning and longing. The Spirit is in the church groaning and longing and drawing. Hallelujah. I love saying this tonight. I just loved it. I loved it. I'll be like, Chris Valentin. That's a good word right there, he'll say. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love you guys. Amen. I'm done. Thank you, Jesus.